Welcome, everybody, to the Minnesota Sports Collaboration Podcast Show, where we highlight all of our Minnesota content creators, shows, and friends here on the program. Poppy, how's it going? It's going great, man. I'm excited to come together with all of our friends. You've heard them on our show, or if you're listening on their show, maybe you've heard us jump in with them. But uh, every week, we're going to have little teasers and snippets from everybody's shows in one spot on all of our feeds so you can get a little taste. And hey, if you haven't listened to one, go check them out. Throw everyone a quick little subscribe and let's make everyone happy. Now, Isha, what's the first one we have here for this week? We're going to throw to Locked on Wild. Our boy Seth Topol drops daily Minnesota Wild content with a wide range of guests. Here's a quick clip of some of his recent content. Kevin Fiala had a couple of goals again and uh, just continues to be on an absolute heater over his uh, last several games. In fact, over his last 24 games, we'll get to why 24 is a significant number here in a second. Over his last 24 games, Kevin Fiala has 13 goals, 17 assists. By that math, 30 points in 24 games. He is now on pace ladies and gentlemen, for a season that would put him near the top of the list in terms of total points in wild history. He is currently on pace now for 30 goals and 46 assists. He's on pace for a 76-point season. And this, after the start to the year, in which uh, it seemed like it took Fiala forever to get himself going. He finished basically the first two months of the season with three goals. He scored in the first game of the year and then did not score for almost another month. So you take that slow stretch out of of play. Did the math with a little help. Um, I tried to do the math, and the formula did not work whatsoever, which is just... You know, just fantastic. Um, Hideki Nishida on Twitter, assisting with uh, some of the uh, the numbers projections because we were trying to figure out what his points pace is with Matt Boldy on that line. That's where the 24 games comes in handy because that's the number of games that Boldy has played with the Wild, and Fiala has basically been there every step of the way with him on that line. So, the points pace for Fiala with Matt Boldy on the team is over 100. He's on pace through those 82 games. If you take the sample size with Matt Boldy and you stretch it out to an 82-game season, Fiala is on pace for over 44 goals and over 58 assists, 102.5 points per 82 games with Matt Boldy as his line mate. Kirill Kaprizov, by that same token, who now has 71 points in 55 games, is on pace for 106 points, 42 goals, 64 assists. He's already moved himself into the top five all-time for the Wild in single-season points totals. He's already done it with 55 games played on the season. This this is going to go down for Kaprizov. Well, here's, and here's the crazy thing. We figured that Kirill Kaprizov was going to do this, was going to continue to rise after uh, a sensational season last year. So... He is going to back up winning the Calder Trophy by shattering the team record for points in a season. Not a bad encore. But Kevin Fiala is going to slide himself, if he continues on this pace, he's going to slide himself into the top five as well. So you have two guys that are right around 25 that will be heading into the offseason with career seasons for themselves, but also career seasons amongst wild history. 
something to think about. Just uh, fascinating to see how this is going to play out uh, for the Minnesota Wilds in the offseason because one of those guys, Mr. Kevin Fiala, is going to have a contract situation come due here relatively soon. And you're not going to be able to take him to arbitration again and uh, get him to stick around long-term. So every point, every goal, every assist for Fiala drives his price up a little bit more. So fun to see those guys continuing to carry this team and continuing to push themselves towards all-time great Minnesota Wild seasons. Again, if you like what you heard, you can follow all of Seth's great content by searching Locked On Wild wherever you get your podcasts or checking them out on social at Locked On Wild. Uh, next, we have <laughs> yours truly, the Soda Pod. Uh, we'll tease our other contributors later, but Hoppy and I talk everything Minnesota Wild beer and hockey. Here's a teaser from our most recent episode. Isha, we talked about this in the live stream, but Minneapolis is actually a, a group of kids that my brother and a college buddy both coached them as double A Bantams. And a lot of the kids go off and play at private schools, but the ones that were left over managed to make it through. Apparently they're in my old section. Now they were never there when I played there, but uh, beat Duluth Ben Myers, alma mater, which, Oh God, I, it'd be so cool if he ended up at the wild, but I've already accepted that it probably won't happen. <laughs> um, but squeak through got here. Minneapolis, Alexandria. What are we going with? We got to go with your brother's team in Minneapolis. All right. We're going Minneapolis. You hear that, Joe? Uh, We're supporting your boys. So there's not not much drama to talk through here. There weren't any like crazy upsets, right? Like the top dog from seven made it. The top dog from eight made it. We got Hermantown and War Road. Matamidi, we knew we'd get through. And Minneapolis was the one seed for their section, but that was probably the most interesting path. But the rest of these, nothing too crazy to report. So we'll see what happens. But again, everyone, we want to know what the championship matchup is, who's going to win. Follow us, share the post on Wednesday, and you will be entered for one of the Soda Stick hoodies. Now we've got double A. This is where it gets a little bit more interesting because we had some fucking craziness happening here. Because up here, Isha, there's maybe one team that squeaks through that's not great but usually double a is like creme de la creme and there were some really interesting tournaments leading up i i I even recognize a lot of the names here just from you know again covering the minnesota wild for two years and talking with you and other hockey fans like obviously the high school names come up and i'm like this is these are the teams that i know now looking at this uh at this bracket for sure. And it it's interesting, too, because there's a lot that you've heard of and that, you know, that got beaten before getting in. That's what that's what makes it crazy is like no team is a lock to get in no matter what their reputation is. Um, so for the first let, let's go through the seeding initially. OK, so we got the one seed Hill Murray who beat White Bear Lake in really what I'm going to call the soda stick matchup here <laughs> because White Bear Lake apparently blocked soda stick. And they immediately oh, came saw. out and said, well, guess what? We're going to be Hill Murray supporters then. Fuck I you. saw that. I, that's insane. So, Landon, your, your team made it. They're the one seed. I hate Hill Murray, but I'll support them for you in just that sense. <laughs> um, number two seed, another private school. Fuck you. Creighton Durham Hall. Um, also, Isha, did you watch all the Mighty Ducks movies? Yeah. So, in the third movie, do you know what the school is that they attend? I'm guessing it's this one. No, that it's called Eden Hall Academy. Okay. And it's a combination of Eden Prairie, Wheaton <laughs> Durham Hall, and uh, St. Thomas Academy. That's so, so funny. Um, they are the oh. two seed. They came out of a, a tough battle, but they were the, the favorite to come out for their section. Um, number three, Maple Grove, who was a team that was actually the number two seed in their section. Rogers was the team expected to come out ahead in that, but uh, Maple Grove, always a strong program. Um, just interesting to see them pull off the three. Um, although some would argue with me, I guess um, the four seed. This is where we get into the fun. Isha, the four seed is Moorhead high school. 
um, a team that I have historically supported wholeheartedly in the double A tournament, orange jerseys, the spuds. What a cool fucking name. Oh, Matt yeah, yeah. Cullen you me this is one, yeah. like the poster child of <laughs> Moorhead hockey. Um, and you know, section eight got a cheer for the Northern teams and they've done a good job. They have dismembered Eden Prairie for me a couple of times. So mm. they've always been a team of mine, but guess what? This year, this year's different because the, uh, the, the spoof, uh, Dave Spihar account posted something saying that when, uh, Rozo was upset by Elk river, it was basically, he didn't watch the game, but he just knew that Rozo fucked up and laid an egg. And I just commented because like, I follow both those programs. Like they're the programs, you know, and green jerseys and they're the Rams like Rozo. That's a pretty cool thing. I'm like, oh, damn, I was really looking forward to that championship game. And some random person on Twitter replies, maybe next year. I'm like, huh, I need to dig into this. <laughs> Marcus, Marcus, our man. Again, I'm, I'm going to cheer for Moorhead right now because I think they're our only chance to beat some of these private schools. But Marcus, had you guys made it to the tourney, I was going to be your biggest cheerleader. Elk River High School Elks which we learned that a group of Elks is a gang. So definitely full on elk gang. Um, elk gang, baby. They, they upset Rozo, not only upset Rozo, but Marcus, who's the one that clapped back at me in a very subtle, calm way. <laughs> Dude, put up a fucking hattie against them to do it. So fucking cool. Marcus wow. ball out, man. Maybe I'll just randomly run into Marcus at the tourney if he goes, but, um, they actually were tight with Moorhead through the first two periods, like tied all the way through. And then finally Moorhead just pulled away, got a couple goal lead. Then goalie starts getting pulled. It ends up getting out of hand. The eight, four score is not indicative of how that game went. Elk river really cool that they went that far with them and Moorhead. I mean, they had been a top 10 team for most of the year. So, um, but Hey, kudos to my Elks. That's right. Elk River High School. Um, but Moorhead's probably the team I'm going to support the heaviest out of this crew. Then we've got the five seed who will naturally play Moorhead and over high school and over of late has been a pretty strong program. Actually, uh, I think they were runner up. Maybe No, they might have won the tournament a couple of years back. And that I mean, both boys and girls teams fucking stacked. My brother actually coached some of the girls in elite league in the summer and just said like, yeah, there's no chance they lose this. <laughs> um, but Andover, they were at large expected to make it in. Then we have, of course, the random draws. Well, Lakeville South High School, which that one usually goes to Lakeville South or Lakeville North. Um, they unfortunately have to match up with Hill Murray, which that's the one that's most up for debate because I think they were like 20 something and three and they oh, got shit. stuck with the number one seed. Whereas prior Lake was the four seed in their section. Edina was a, uh, not the one seed from their section and they both got more favorable matchups. So that's where I yeah, think yeah. this uh, process kind of gets fucked, but whatever. Um, I just mentioned Edina gets in and it's weird. I'm, I'm kind of conflicted because I love it when they get in because then I get to hate them. Right. Yeah, like I want I them. want them yeah. to be there so I can hate them. It's it's a weird. Uh, I got a whole complex about me. I need to talk to my therapist about it. But I know because even even I'm picking up on this. With oh, you and Dinah. fucking cake eaters, man. Uh, <laughs> what what is the quote? So it's on that uh, Dave Spihar's uh, that spoof account. It's uh, uh, the state tournament, the the time of year when the northern teams hate the metro teams, metro teams hate the private schools. And everyone hates and everyone a hates a dino. <laughs> <laughs> just incredible. It's incredible. I love That's it. That's awesome. If you didn't hate what you just listened to, you can find all of our content at the soda pod on social, that being Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube, or by searching the soda pod wherever you get your podcasts. Who's up next? Minnesota Sports Chat. Those new to Ross or Minnesota Sports Chat. You get anything from a unique spin on Minnesota sports to the wrecks of a frozen pizza connoisseur. House, if you follow the socials, many Gopher faithful, very angstful about, or angsty might be the better, better 
actual word to use about how the Gopher basketball program finished. And I guess I, I really don't understand the angst. I get it if, you know, you, you had high expectations for this team. And I'm not trying to tell people how to be fans, but at the same time, I'll, I'll tell you, I don't understand how people would have had such lofty expectations for this team. At the beginning of the year, I thought they could maybe win 10 games, and I thought that was probably even being optimistic. And they won 13. So, yeah, they finished last in the Big Ten, but whatever. To me, it is it is what it is. Nothing that Ben Johnson did or didn't do this year was going to lead me to have any grandiose opinions either for or against him. I will save those for... You know, probably at the earliest, mid to late next year, but realistically, you're talking years three and four. I just, I don't put much stock into this. I had a few people come after me and say, well, this is the roster that he put together. Well, yeah, it's a roster he put together on the fly, and I get it. Other people did similar things and put together better rosters. They're also not coaching at Minnesota that historically doesn't make the NCAA tournament. I I came into the season thinking, just like you did, the Big Ten season would be tough. They won a few more of the non-conference games than I had anticipated. And you saw earlier in the year how well they played when they weren't physically exhausted. I just thought by the end of the year, all those minutes were starting to add up. Look at Peyton Willis out there last night. I, I felt like he just had nothing left in the tank. Guys are just getting to the point where you can't keep playing all those minutes. And that's a result of you know the patchwork roster, getting a lot of transfers, filling in the gaps and not having the depth. So I would say, you know, we saw the flashes with this program. Some wins where you're like, okay, Michigan, where they played super well on the road, and the X's and O's side of it where, you know, Ben would draw some really great stuff up out of timeouts and they scored. I wrote a piece on that a few weeks ago just looking at the success they had out of timeouts. Ben showed us that he can he has the X's and O's acumen and a really, really good staff. He just needs some talent. They need guys that are more versatile down, you know, that can step outside, play in the post, create challenges for teams, you know, in a variety of different ways. And and Ben's just needs some time for that personnel. I thought we saw some really good things, but people just need to be patient. You can find this beauty on social at Brendel Ross, that's B-R-E-N-D-E-L Ross, and his podcast by searching Minnesota Sports Chat on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Who's up? Judd's Buds. Mutant, spitter, sicko, Z. We don't care what you call him. To us, Spokes Z just means elite prospect coverage. Here's a preview of the brilliant ramblings you can hear on Judd's Buds. Let's go to the questions because there's a, a lot of good ones and there's just a lot in general. Um, let's start with Wild Farm Report. Assuming Fiala is on the team next year, who does Rossi fit better between 97-36 or 12-22? I'd say 12-22. Um, I think Marco Rossi's, I think he's going to want the puck a lot more. I think Zucker, I mean, both Fiala and Boley do tend to have the puck a lot, but, um, you know, I just look at the way Marco Rossi plays, um, you know, especially going right in, you know, he's going to be going to the NHL. He's played with uh, Boley before, um, you know, he's going to be on the puck more. He's going to be making more passes. I think 97, 36, I think Caprizov and Zuccarello, first of all, it's really hard to just step into the NHL and play with them. I think they play really fast in the offensive zone. They're doing their, like, you know, Caprizov's doing a, a, a roundabout, doing three laps around the offensive zone, and then just passes to Zuccarello. They're playing catch. Um, I do think he just fit, kind of fits better with uh, Fiala and Boldy. And then even defensively, I think him and Boldy are really good at locking it down. But they already have chemistry together, so I'd start him there uh, next season if they do decide to have him in the NHL next year, which I think he's ready, or he will be ready. And I think those are two really good line mates for him. Again, he's already played with Boldy. They look incredible together um, on the power play, on the penalty kill, neutral zone. Um, that chemistry's there, and I think he would look really good dishing to Fiala. Um, you know, whether he's the play driver or he's going to be a complimentary piece, he can just kind of fit in. That's the thing about Ronco Rossi. He just fits in wherever he's playing. So 
Um, I stick in between there. I think he sees more of the puck. Um, and I think it's a lot less challenging than trying to fit in right with Kaprizov and Zuccarello. Um, even though I think they do elevate whoever their center is either way. Uh, but I think it's just a natural fit with Boldy and Fiala, uh, with Rossi in between them. Dave Curtis, what was your, I became a fan of the wild when story dudes rock confirmed. Um, I think I've said this before. So, you know, obviously growing up in Boston I was, you know, Boston's been the team forever. Um, and then I was really young. I eventually just started watching more hockey outside of just Boston, especially when they were pretty bad for a little bit. Um, so I started watching other teams around the league. Uh, I really started following teams that, um, you know, the fan base is crazy, you know, big hockey markets, the games looked sick. Um, you know, they were loud, they're fun. Um, Minnesota kind of just caught my eye. It's obviously it's the state of hockey. The Excel energy center is always bumping. Um, you know, for me, like if I'm going to live anywhere other than Boston, like Minnesota is like the ideal place for me. Um, you know, it's all hockey. It's, it's just the way it is. But, uh, truthfully, you know, so I started, obviously I started watching Minnesota when they first went back. Uh, and then I think it was the year that he set the franchise record for the most shorthanded goals in Bruins history in one season. Uh, I fell in love with Brian Ralston. He scored nine shorties. I think it was Oh three and the lockout happened. He ended up in Minnesota. Uh, he was great in Minnesota. So that's kind of when I just jumped on that bandwagon. Um, and ever since then, it's been they've been like one B. So we can thank uh, the state of hockey, and we can thank Roly Polioli. Uh, that's not his name. Brian Rolston, uh, you know, breakaway clap bombs and then scoring short. He's like no one's business. Um, but yeah, it, it was really Brian Rolston, believe it or not. And now it's just been love ever since. My buddy Dom Tiano. This I know it's tongue in cheek. Uh, will Jack McBain sign an NHL or AHL do his deal as soon as his season's over NHL? Because I think there's a chance he could get into games at the end of the year. I think his game naturally translates to the NHL. Um, you know, obviously it's a big jump, especially when this is the first year he's really popped off. Yeah. I know the rumors. If you go and listen to the 31 or 32 thoughts podcast today with Merrick and Friedman, he's Merrick explained the McBain situation exactly how I told you he meant it. There are no real rumors, um, but if you think that the Wild wouldn't be willing to include him in a package, if that could get, if he could be a package for a big center, then yeah, they would do that. It's a no-brainer. Like I love the kid, but he's not like irreplaceable. I don't think it's like if you trade him, it's not like you're trading Marco Rossi or Huthendino if that would have crazy implications on the future of your franchise. So, um, yeah, I think he signs the NHL deal. Hopefully it's in Minnesota. If not, hopefully they move him and get something for him. You're not going to get it. Again, I've said this before. You're not going to get a ton uh, for him right now. Like if you're just trading him, you're getting like a mid-round pick maybe. Um, but for me, if you can't, you just can't let the kid walk. I'd be shocked if they let him walk and got nothing for him. Um, moving on. Max McCormick, which prospects have exceeded expectations this season and which have failed to meet expectations? In other words, whose stock has risen and whose has fallen? Uh, the first one that comes to mind in terms of their stock rising, um, I mean, aside from a kid like Connor Dewar, like I figured, you know, he was in the running to make the NHL squad. Um, and then when he started in Iowa, I figured that's where he'd be all year. And then he just took off when he went back down. Um, you know, I made his way to the NHL, and I don't really see how you can take him out of the lineup. Uh, I think he's a really good piece for them. Um, I think he's going to be a really good player for a long time. So, but I mean, other than him, I think the first one that comes to mind is like a Pavel Novak. Um, you know, I've said it before, the knock on him forever has been that he's a one-dimensional scorer, uh, one-dimensional offensive player, uh, gets a lot of power play cookies. You know, it's that bomb of a shot from the circle. Uh, in Ovi's office. Uh, but this year, he's just been incredible. He's been their best player just about every night. Um, you know, he's fighting through adversity, too. He's, he's taking skate blades to the face. Um, and he's coming back. Cage on. Um, he's scoring a, in a ton of different ways. I think he's at least working on being more multidimensional. Uh, you know, it's it's he's not a sure thing for the NHL, but I'm betting on the kid. But, um you know, coming in, I kind of expected like a 2040 season from him, and he's already surpassed that. He's, I think, he's right around 24 goals and 
30 something assists um they still have a good amount of games left but again he's scoring in different ways he's going hard to the net he's forechecking really hard um again his feet for whatever reason stop moving the defensive zone and he just like watches the puck and glides to the to the wall uh, which is why I'm a fan of letting him play another year in junior, assuming, assuming he still has eligibility. Um, but he's definitely exceeded my expectations. He looks like a completely different player than the one than the player that they drafted. Um, so he's been a pleasant surprise. It's showing up on the score sheet. And again, he's out producing guys that went way higher than him in the draft on his own team. Um, and he's kind of just been their most important player. I love the versatility, the ability for him to throw him. Um, in the middle when you need a big face-off win like he's not going to kill a ton of ton of penalties for you but you'll see him out there in the first pk unit to win that face-off kind of like a uh what's that position lacrosse the fogo face-off get out um but he's i think he's won like 70 percent of the face-offs he's taken and he's taken a good amount so he's he's just looked really good um and if he continues to work on the defensive side of the game, you know, if he can get a little bit, I think if he works on his skating a little bit and just has a little bit better form and technique, then, um, you know, you're looking at a kid with a real shot to play and play NHL games. Um, definitely a couple of years away, but I think anyways, he's been the kid for me. That's really um, exceeded those expectations. Same thing with like a Jack McBain. You know, this is the first year he's really popped off. I don't know if I expected 17 goals in 21 games. Um, you know, the potential was always there, but you're always just waiting for him to hit it. And then he got his opportunity on that first line this year. You know, he's getting all the minutes. He clearly worked his bag off in the off season. Skating's better. Defensive game's really good. He just does everything really well. So, um, you know, he's always been a really good player. And like I said before, this is a kid that had first round pedigree in his draft year and then kind of just fell off. Um, and we've kind of just been waiting for that size and skill to really like shine. Um, and this year it finally has. And I, but I mean, it's been dominant. He scored in every single game that he came back from after the Olympics. They didn't win a game until he came back. Um, or they won one game before he came back. And then he comes back, scores two in the first game back, scores again in the second and then uh, the third and fourth, he, he scores both. So um, he's just been incredible. So, you know, I figured he'd have a good year, but I don't know if I expected this much from him. And I don't know if I expected him to make an Olympic team. So there you go. Okay. Let's talk about DraftKings. The NHL season has been packed with dirty dangles. Oh God. Hat tricks and big wins. <clears throat> As the action rolls on, DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL, has your shot to win big two. New customers can bet just $1 on any team and get $150 in free bets if they win. That's right. A bump in the win column for your team means free bets for you. If Sportsbook is not available in your state yet, you still have a shot to light the lamp. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Hockey Contests. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code THPN, bet just $1 on any NHL team, and get $150 in free bets if they win. That's promo code THPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL. 21 plus restrictions apply. See show notes for details. And let's just keep going with the details. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER, 1-800-426-2537. Uh, Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, Wyoming. 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado and New Hampshire. 888-789-777 slash visit httpccpg.org. I don't think I'm supposed to read all this. .org <laughs> slash chat. Connecticut. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. One eight seven 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 zero stop seven eight six seven in out Louisiana eight seven seven eight hope ny slash text hope ny in New York visit 
visit opgr.org in Oregon. Call text Tennessee Red Line 1-800-889-9789 in Tennessee or 1-888-532-3500 in Virginia. 21 plus, 18 plus in New Hampshire, Wyoming, physically present in Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Louisiana, Michigan, New Hampshire, New Jersey, New York, Oregon, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Wyoming only. Minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. There was no way I was supposed to read that entire thing, but that's three minutes of our lives that we're never going to get back. And I hope we keep it in because that was really funny. <laughs> in my defense, I just asked Isha if I was supposed to read the whole thing, and he said yes. So that's uh, that happened. Dudes fucking rock. If you want more, you can find him every Tuesday. And sometimes uh, we, we don't really know with him. He's kind of a wild card, maybe even Thursdays. On the Soda Pod feed. So same podcast feed as before. But if you want to follow him specifically and for some reason you haven't already, you can check him out on Twitter at SpokedZ. Who do we got? Our friends at Sound the Foghorn. Brett, Justin, and Zeke represent Sound the Foghorn from wild to whitecaps, killing the analytics and prospect game. Here's a sneak peek at their latest episode. So I guess we'll just start here. Um, let's, let's just go right into stories and then we can kind of just add some context if we need to. Um, Justin, we'll go to you first because obviously with a son named Miko, we know there's a, there's a special connection and just talk a little bit about um, just what Miko Koivu meant for you and, and just kind of what his jersey retirement means to even you as, as you know, a fan. You know, outside of Gabrick, he was, I mean, of course he was the face of the franchise. Gabrick ended up being my first favorite mm-hmm. player on the wild, but then he left and it, it's just Koivu was always, always good. I mean, God, I can't even put my thoughts together right now, but uh, <laughs> man, just my favorite player all around uh, from then on, and and just so, I mean, played a thousand plus games with us, uh, so loyal. That's the word I was looking for. Yeah, absolutely. But, uh, just, I loved watching him in the shootouts when when shootouts became a thing. He just knew the move he was going to come up with. He was always going to do that deke in the backhand upper corner. Uh, just so many things about him made me fall in love with the wild even more. And then obviously I named my son Miko. I, I mean, I remember the night he was born, we were playing Pittsburgh, uh, November 25th, 2016. And I mean, Koivu ended up getting an assist in that game, but I just remember that was the first game I got to watch with my son. And here he is. I named him Miko. It wasn't totally in the plans, but then it ended up being the forefront of his name. He just looked like a Miko and then, just that's where the name came from, obviously. So you know, just really special player to me. Is uh, mm-hmm. is Miko Baki gonna wear number nine? Do you think, or is he, does his dad know. have a he number won't. he's gonna try to pass down? I don't know. I wore nineteen, but okay. I mean, he can find the own number he likes. He wears ten this year, but that was given to him. So mm-hmm. we'll see what number he falls in love with. If it's dad's number or his own or. Miko Koivu, who knows? Yeah, so St. Michael did this weird thing when we picked our jerseys. So we they did like a complete kind of rebrand of the association. So it was my second year. Mm-hmm. So I had mites when I moved, and then when I transitioned to squirts, they did this whole rebrand thing where um, they had all the youth players. We bought a set of jerseys that were like far too big for us. And mm-hmm. we were like basically drew a name out of a hat, and that was supposed to be a number, and we were supposed oh. to have that number and wear that jersey from the time we were squirts all the way through Bantams, and I just happened to draw um, 22. Um, so that's the number I wore all through youth hockey. Um, my brother had worn two his whole life, so it was kind of cool for me. Like, oh, big brother mm-hmm. wore two, little bro yeah. wears 22. Um, and then, um, of course, I grew up a, a massive Koivu fan. Um, he switches number to nine. And then um, I actually wore two my sophomore year of high school, um, and then our captain who left after my sophomore year, who was number nine, um, that opened up number nine. I was able to wear that for my last two years. And then, of course, um, when I was a senior, I, I got to be a captain and, you know, being able to wear a nine with a C on it and, mm-hmm. you know, kind of feel a little bit like my idol was was super cool. Um, and then so if you're wondering where the uh, where the nine two comes in my bio, um, it's from nine and twenty two. Um, but, you know, if I had to, if I had to choose a hockey number now, it'd be ninety two just to kind of combine 
um, yeah. those two, which it still ticks me off. That's fucking Gabriel Landeskog's number. Um, it just, <laughs> it just twists a knife in my back every time I remember that. But um, yeah, that's a fun story about how I got my numbers. And if mm. you're ever wondering where the 92 yeah. my bio comes from or my Twitter at, that's that's where it comes from. So very cool, awesome. Sweet. You know, for I don't know for me, like like you said, Brett. Uh, you know, obviously I'm younger than you guys. I don't have too many, you know. I guess stories per se, but I can remember too the first wild game I ever went to. I think it was you know like January 2011. My brother's hockey team at the oh, time you didn't have had to tickets. Live I got the, the late yes 2000s. Lucky you. No, did not. So <laughs> it was yeah, it was right around then. Um, I think they're playing Vancouver that night. Uh, I don't I don't think he scored. I don't remember, but I do remember. Uh, you know, I just remember specifically. You know, someone asked. I think a parent of the team. They asked a bunch of the kids. You know, like usual, who's your favorite player or whatever, and. You know, he was the one I picked mostly at that time because, you know, that was the name I saw everywhere. And yep. even though nine-year-old me or whatever I was didn't really, you know, I mean, I understood the game. I, I you know, I didn't really understand league, teams, players, all that. But that's the, that was the, he was the first name, first player that I actually knew who they were. Uh, I knew who, obviously, who Mika was even before that. Uh, and then, you know, I can also remember, uh, you know, obviously, like Justin said, the back forehand, backhand, shootout move. That's, you know, it's classic for everybody. I mean, I saw that in person once against LA in 2013 during that lockout shortened season. He scored one of the, the most ridiculous the part move. about that move is every goalie knew it was coming and they still couldn't stop it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was. And, and it was perfect. It's just perfect right under the bar, yep. right over the glove. Blocker. So smooth. Like, just, just looks so great. And then I think the other one too, and I think you know, it's going to go for a lot of us. Obviously it was the thousands game. You know, they came back late tie at, then he scored the game winning shootout goal and overtime at the exact move and then was mobbed by basically the entire team. I think, you know, that was just, you know, for me, that's just the other one that, uh, you know, for all the, you know, as we've discussed before, all the crap he's gotten, I think, you know, that thousands game, that celebration, the way his teammates mobbed him, I think says a lot. And uh, I think uh, it's just kind of a good way of, you know, representing what he has, what he has and still does mean to, you know, this team, players and the fans. Yeah. Um, I mean, you've seen my Miko story and I've touched on a little bit, just, you know, the impact he had on me falling in love with hockey, wanting to be a center, wearing numbers and wanting to be a leader, all that inspired by Miko. So that aside, like my favorite playing memory of Miko Koivu, I don't remember when it, I think this would have been probably in 2014 because when the wild had Heatley um, instead of Gucci, um, I think right after that trade, um, they were in an overtime game against Detroit. And um, a puck went to the corner. Nicholas Cronwall um, is in pursuit with Miko Koivu. And Miko Koivu gives him gives Nicholas Cronwall, this guy known for huge hits, <laughs> he flattens Nicholas Cronwall with this reverse shoulder hit with his back to him, flattens Cronwall. I think he injured him, but, like, totally clean. It was just, a, like, a an exploding backwards hit to the chest that just stunned Cronwall. Koivu takes the puck out of the corner, walks the slot, and hit Setaguchi in the back door for the game winner. And to me, like that goal is just the epitome of everything that was so underrated about Koivu. The way he did use his size, the way he could box out, you know, even some of the best defensive players in the league. Um, obviously, you've probably seen some of the tweets from myself and from Evolving Hockey about how prime Koivu from basically 2011 to 20, 2018, he was probably the second best defense, defensive player, defensive forward in the league, not named Patrice Bergeron. And just because he didn't put up the points um, was never really given the recognition that he deserved. Probably should have, in my opinion, won anywhere from probably two to five Selkie trophies or at least been in the top three, which he just never was. Um, and there's a lot of arguments against Koivu. Well, he never produced and, you know, he never led this team out of the playoffs. He only did X, Y, Z in the playoffs. He's not the GM. He doesn't pick the players that are, that are put around him. He, he does what he's dealt. And mm-hmm. Justin, we, we, you and I chuckled about the late 2000s when this team was dreadful. And Koivu somehow ended up, through all of that, being a plus player in Minnesota, which you think of all the bad seasons where, you know, he had to be the guy. And, um, you know, I think it says a lot when, you know, two former GMs, a GM from your national country and 20 former teammates, um, <clears throat> plus players and teammates, are going to be there for your jersey retirement. I think it just speaks to to just the character that Koivu has and the respect he has, you know, maybe not always the, the biggest talker, the flashiest guy, but you know, a, a stern leader um, and a guy that you want, if you know, a guy that'll get on your ass. I mean, I believe there was, I think when Kevin Fiala kind of won his very first like explosive scoring streak, I think it was after Koivu 
kind of pulled him aside on the bench, like, dude, get your fucking shit together. And then all of a sudden, Kevin Fiala took mm-hmm. off, right? So mm-hmm. he's just that, that, that voice of, of reason that you sometimes needed. And um, I'm going to try not to cry on Sunday, but um, I, I, can't, I can't guarantee that won't happen as I, as I watch Nyan go there after. I'm, I'm pretty pumped, pretty pumped. A lot of the things now I do correlates with me and my kids. And uh, the other night, uh, I forgot what game it was, Miko was being interviewed during the intermission or talking to someone. And my son was in the room. I said, that's Miko Koi. That's where your name came from. He said, that's Miko too? <laughs> kind of like that. He's got the same name as me because it's not like a very popular name. So yeah. it was just kind of be able to, cool to be able to point out to him uh, that that's kind of where the uh, name idea came from. And uh, I mean, hopefully someday he gets to meet him, honestly. I hope uh, I get to meet him. I still haven't got yeah. to either. Uh, there was a Fan HQ autograph event the day before the pandemic canceled everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or it was one day late where it got canceled because of the pandemic and we just we had tickets to go and I was gonna bring Miko and it never happened. So was hopefully someday that does happen again. But just it's cool to be able to point it out to him, be like, Yeah, that's kinda of, even though there's a Miko down the line in our family, we kinda of use that as an excuse. Yep. Too, a little bit. But it was just cool to be able to point it out to him because Absolutely. Not a very popular name, yeah. <laughs> at least in the States. If you like what you heard, feel free to head on over to Sound the Foghorn. Any podcast platform that you have, we should be there. Look for the Minnesota Wild Colors and the iconic Foghorn logo. If we're not on your favorite podcast platform, feel free to let us know on Twitter or Instagram, at Sound the Foghorn, all one word. Thanks for listening and enjoy. If you don't already, follow them on social at Sound the Foghorn. And plug that into your favorite podcast platform as well. Who do we got next? MNCAA, hosted by Nick Maxson. You get your weekly dose of Minnesota College Puck. Here's a look at what you can expect for all six Division I programs. And now, ladies and gentlemen, the main event of the... Never mind. Hi, Max. How are you doing? Um, I introduce you that way because there is going to be quite the event this weekend up there at Amsoil. This is... uh, this is some intense hockey that's about to come up. Uh, this is what you live for in the NCHC. This is what the season builds to. You want the excitement. And uh, UMD, you know, we're, we're happy to deliver. If the, the conference needs to rely on us to produce that kind of entertainment, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be in the middle of it. Speaking of delivering, uh, your your computer camera needs to to steady its ISO. Um, you know, <laughs> you keep going from Batcave to, uh, to I Hollywood know. stage. They're I've, just like that. <laughs> I've got the world's worst ring light here. It's from from Amazon, the cheap way out. And you know, I've got. A, is it a, the is it the light that dims? Uh, the light doesn't dim. It is the computer camera, it, it but is the, the camera. fact that okay. it's just not connected. It's just completely. Oh, set I there, see. So. Okay, yeah. so the computer's going. What the heck's going on? Uh, yeah. You know, it kind of is almost a, a perfect rendition of the Bulldog season. You're sometimes you're hot, sometimes you're not. Um, I know I'm a St. Cloud fan, so it sucks. <laughs> um, but how about this? Um, these two teams, again, we talked about the last few weeks. They seem to be destined on a collision course. And, uh, well, here we are, right? Um, the last, what, four or five years, these teams have hosted the regular season finale. Um, it's been swapped between both Amso and the Herbrooks National Hockey Center. But not in the last four or five years has I don't I think the games have meant this much to either squad. This is going to be quite the weekend of regular season hockey uh, between these two these two squads. We we call the dog fight. I know it's more hyperbole, but I don't think this weekend it's hyperbole. Uh, I I would certainly agree. So UMD got quite a bit of help um, with Western losing and. You know, they they had it right in front of them. They could have jumped them or at least been tied with them going into this weekend here and had an opportunity to take over that third spot. But um, they couldn't get it done on Saturday, to, to put it lightly there. It was a, a bit of a, a frustrating loss, not only for the fans, but for the players as well, hearing from from some of them and seeing what they're going through. But to, to be only three behind a, a Western Michigan team and, and where they were, you know, just two weeks ago even, um to to see that umd wasn't able to capitalize on the the opportunity in front of them and now have to fight to keep that that fourth place spot it's it's going to be rough it is going to be rough and uh you you talked about third place too so that's what saint cloud was looking at too because you know there was all this focus on the bulldogs and you know how can we catch them how can we 
maybe get home ice. There is a chance for that. Let's not kid ourselves, but we kind of forgot about Western Michigan and North Dakota kind of did you guys a favor. I mean, if things go your way this weekend, there may be an opportunity. However, I think Western Michigan is hosting Miami this weekend for the season finale. So, but I don't think anybody expected UMD to lose on Saturday. Let's, let's be frank. Uh, so there, there could be some surprises, but uh, I guess what shouldn't be surprised is, or what shouldn't surprise anybody that follows this. I think it's okay to call it a rivalry uh, between the Huskies and the Bulldogs that this is going to be some great hockey. It's going to be emotional hockey. And uh, there's a lot on the line between these two squads. Uh, uh, Max, uh, let's take it from the UMD's perspective first, because uh, again, UMD, Five-point lead going into this weekend. It was expected to sweep both the Huskies and the Bulldogs to get to a five-point spread. Essentially, you needed to one overtime point to basically put it out of reach. Now, Friday's game means a lot. Uh, so let's focus on Friday. How important is Friday's game for both these squads, but more specifically for UMD, especially after Saturday's performance where you controlled the entire game but just couldn't get one to fall? Yeah, um, the, uh, I'm going to go in reverse order here. Thinking back to to Saturday's game and just the weekend in general, you had 96 shots from the Bulldogs over a weekend. And if, if you hear that, you're ecstatic as a Bulldogs fan because that's not something you see from them every night. You're like, finally, we're getting some offensive chances and everything. And then you look at the scoring column, and this 96 shots produced just three goals, and all three of those were on that, that Friday game, a 3-1 victory get blanked on on Saturday, losing 4 nothing, even after a 46-shot performance or 44-shot performance there is is frustrating. I, I mentioned it before. It's it's weighing heavy on quite a few guys. And to just run into a goaltender that's that hot or, you know, what what have you, I'm, I'm not exactly sure what happened. Um, you know, even watching it, it seemed like a lot of those shots were things that normally go in the back of the net. And you kind of alluded to it. It was just the the frustration that was building on the ice you can kind of see it it was a little bit palpable that you know they were they were breaking down in some of the other areas and they had some other fast breaks in terms of Miami's play and how they ended up scoring a couple of their goals as well and that kind of didn't really add anything to to what UMD wanted to do so they kind of have to take that mentality and throw it out the window because you can't play like that against a team like St. Cloud we've we've seen it in the last series against the Huskies where you know, you're not going to get all of those chances against a, a more defensive team, a different style of play than than what they faced last weekend. And it's it's I don't want to say confusing, but um, it, it's going to have to be a, a more cohesive game overall. I, I don't think that UMD has had they've probably had a full game but it's been rare and they certainly haven't had a, a full weekend of, of exactly how they wanted to play. So I would take a full game from them um, in the upcoming series here. And if we can get a full weekend, it would be even better. Speaking of full, um, how about this? Uh, the, 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 the Bulldogs haven't had really a full roster at all this year, and they're going to actually might for the first time this weekend have a full healthy roster. I mean, that's insane to think about Max, um, you know, and you mentioned, tough losses, right? I mean, St. Cloud, that exact blueprint that happened on Saturday to UMD happened to the Huskies against the Bulldogs earlier in that same week on Tuesday, where the Huskies vastly controlled the game, lost that game. Um, But it's about how you respond, right? And I think one of the weird things about, you know, a a situation like this is it can do two things. It it can get you down or or can provide a lot of motivation. Uh, Besides the Saturday's result, there's motivation to keep home ice, but there's a fine line, right? There's a fine line between letting emotions, you know, kind of help you dictate play and get you back on the right track or emotions can be sort of a, a further dividing force. So how important is it, is it for the Bulldogs to keep those emotions in check this weekend? Because again, it could further sink you down the rabbit hole if you let the emotions do all the talking. Yeah, emotions in check is is one of the major keys that they are going to have to have in in their back pocket coming into this game. Um, we saw it in the, the previous two games with St. Cloud in St. Cloud. Granted, they weren't in the same weekend, so the flow is a little bit different. But UMD got out to an early lead in both of those games, and they were trying to hang on to it. So if they fall behind early, it's going to be something that's completely foreign to them um, against St. Cloud, at least this year. Granted, you know there are a lot of seniors on both teams. There are a lot of upperclassmen on both teams in general. So... They played each other seven times last year. They're going to be playing each other a minimum of four times this year. And, you know, what seems very likely another seven times this year, if it goes to three games in the the NCHC playoffs in the first round there. So 
they're they're familiar with one another and they're familiar with that style of play and you know you mentioned it a little bit earlier the rivalry if it didn't exist before which i think it did the last two years including this one certainly is is really enforcing that or or building it up to be something that can be um worked at from from both teams so i, I don't see that as as being a negative necessarily but it is something that umd is going to have to to maintain a a mindset of going into it as a tough competition but one that they can win the previous two games they they have all of zero minutes of of being behind granted they didn't win the first game but they led all the way through uh until the last minute and then in overtime obviously nobody scored so for for the entire game they they were not down for two games in a row so if they can go in knowing that they can hold a team that is as good as St. Cloud, even with that talented roster, talented goalie, like all of it, it it's going to be something that they need to build on. And that mentality of, you know, not getting too hard on yourself or too down if something doesn't go right right away is going to be the biggest thing. I do expect this to be a much more greasy series um, between these two squads. And, and, and that's sort of some hockey that we've seen only a couple of times, really. Uh, you know, these teams love to play. Uh, I don't know if clean hockey is the word, but they they like to be the skating skilled offensive team, right? Chances on the rush, chances in the cycle. Uh, you're, they're not like, say, a Western Michigan or an Omaha that can, you know, kind of pound you in the boards, that can be physical. Um, kind of like Calgary. Holy cow, just throw an NHL reference. That team, yeah. uh, we could go on a tangent on how uh, playoff ready that team is because um, they just have a little bit of everything. Uh, these two teams are not really built like that. And that's why I make the reference. So I, I guess for both squads, you're almost wishing that the that the game doesn't evolve into into sort of a grudge match per se. But if it does, Max, do you like UMD's chances in that type of a matchup? Uh, normally, I would say I do because they they have been pretty good on the penalty kill all year, but uh, it struggled as of late, and you know not necessarily against St. Cloud in the the past couple of games, but. Uh, I, I don't think they're as strong as they have been in, in past years. They don't have Hobie Bakers on the defensive line. They don't have anybody that's, you know, capable of being a completely shut down player. And that's not to say that Ryan Fanty's not good because he's second in the NCHC right now, only behind Zach Driscoll, who, by the way, was stolen from Bemidji. And that's the only reason that I won't say the only reason. Whoops. A good help <laughs> in terms of where North Dakota's at this year. Great goalie, great team in general. It's something that I have to bring up whenever, whenever I can. But um, back to what I was saying that, the, the Bulldogs are top 10 in even strength goals against for, for opposing teams. And they're top 10 in shots against on a per game basis. So when they're playing five on five hockey, they're, they're a top 10 team in the nation. So I, I don't see that being an issue as long as they can keep it that way and, and play a, a relatively level game. So what does the ultimate question bring us, which is how does UMD pull this off again? Mathematically speaking, you have a two-point advantage. If you get a victory in regulation on Friday, that pretty much puts you at home, mites. That seals it, right? Um, for the Huskies, if they win in regulation or at least throw it to what the NCAA would call it a tie or at least to a shootout, that's you know at least splitting points. And then even if they still lose in the shootout, that's a three-point advantage. So the math is still in the favor of UMD, but... You got to get there. So how does UMD make that happen? Yeah, I, th I think you alluded to it earlier. And then with that question as well, the, the Friday game is the biggest because if you do win in regulation on Friday, the monkey is off your back for not only the series, but the season as a whole, you would be mathematically above 500, even if you lost out. And then you would just be relating, you know, relying on the uh, pairwise rankings to maintain the top 16 rate. So I think if, if Sandlin can get the guys up for a good game on Friday and play through it, it's going to put everybody in a much more relaxed position and um, in a good spot to, to produce well for the rest of the weekend. But with that being said, there is a lot of pressure right now. And I, I don't want to see as a, a hockey fan in general, but obviously as a fan of UMD, I don't want to see anybody thinking that this game is the end all be all because there is another Saturday game. And even if you do lose both games this series, you won't be playing at home but you still have uh, another way into the tournament, another way to continue your season. That's just to win, not necessarily win out, but at least make it to the championship game of the NCHC. So I don't want the guys to be playing with, with every shift is the end-all BL. They need to play a good, smart game and play their style. And I, I think that they can do that. And Sandlin's got enough experience. This is a, a, an older team for the most part that, that should know that, um, given where they've been and, and you know a couple of them having championship um, 
seasons uh, on their resume already. So uh, I just want to see that happen. And I'm, I'm, you know, manifesting it as the kids today would say. <laughs> I, I like that word. Yes. Manifesting it is. Uh, speaking of manifesting success, right? Uh, I think the first goal in both games um, is going to be pivotal in the series in terms of how it plays out. Uh, Max, I want to know if you agree one and number two, if UMD scores first in on Friday, um, we saw this with Sanko last weekend, how you could still see some of that pressure. You could see some of that nervousness in their game. You score once they scored twice. They started to relax a little bit. Um, that tends to me when you bring that mentality into this, I think this could be a very low scoring series. And I do think there's going to be a lot on, uh, you know, I guess it, it, not a lot of great A scoring opportun- opportunities. Uh, what do you expect um, on the ice of how this team, uh, how the series will actually play out? Yeah, the the first goal is is going to be pivotal. And it's funny to say that after having, you know, UMD already scored the first goal in the previous two and having completely different results, both of them going to that overtime and, and shootout format, ultimately. Um, I, I do think that, you know, not to say that the the first matchup between these two was lucky one way or the other, but they they did control that game a lot more. And if they can play that style, it, it's going to be a, a lot better. It seemed like they were a lot more relaxed and not necessarily um, getting into some of the scrums that didn't didn't need to be going on. And, you know, some of that just comes with late season play and having it been physical all year long. But um, the, like you said, the first goal is going to be huge. The, the only disadvantage, I shouldn't say the only one, but one of the disadvantages I see for UMD and the NCHC schedule in general is all of the, the Minnesota state colleges, I believe, are, are on spring break. UMD, at least, is on spring break. So it's not going to have that, that massive student section. You're not going to get a ton of help when the St. Cloud goalie, Rennick, is, is, he's not going to be getting berated down there or have signs saying anything about his family or sister or whatever. And, <laughs> you know, that's all in, all in good fun, but you're not going to get that type of home ice advantage. So scheduling a, a tough team or a tough matchup like St. Cloud this late in the year is, is always fun. It's a great way to close out the season, but having it in, a, in an arena that's, that's not going to have the same, you know, vibe or energy that it's used to all year might be a little bit different for the players and you know whether that's a good thing or a bad thing in terms of not getting those super high highs so you're not going to have any sort of drop off you just need to be able to get the players up in general for that and and make sure that they're understanding when they're doing something good and I don't think that that's too hard for somebody at the the collegiate level so what we come to is prediction time unbiased of course we are here on the MNCAA podcast but this is I think a tough one to predict. Uh, there's a lot of variables. Again, these teams have not really been consistent as of late or throughout the, ser- uh, the season, actually, respectively. But, Max, on home ice, it, you, you got your backs against the wall to a proverbial degree. Uh, how do you see this, uh, this series playing out? Yeah, uh, it, it's it's silly to say that, you know, it's it's been, you know, as close as physically possible. And it, it has been. But I expect the, more of the same. You already mentioned it earlier. I expect a little bit lower scoring. Two good goaltenders, um, two good defensive teams. Not that there's, they don't have uh, offensive weapons on either side, specifically St. Cloud, but um, just the way that they play one another and the way that they played one another for the last two years seems like it's it's kind of leading itself to this. So uh, I'm saying a split at home as I'd like as much as I'd like to say a sweep, uh, a split at home, and that'll do it. Not that you know, it a split is going to have the same outcome on the season as a sweep would. Maybe not having the momentum. But they're going to run into each other the same same place, same time, essentially, for the, the next weekend as well. So if they can get comfortable and, and win one game this weekend, I'll be happy. And I think uh, Bulldogs fans will be, too, as uh, that will certainly help uh, them cement their case for the NCAA tournament. Again, Selection Sunday coming up in under three, uh, about three weeks now. So it's coming up quick. Uh, Max, again, thanks so much for joining us. We need to head south to uh, another Minnesota State school, the Minnesota, the Mankato Mavericks, the number one team in the country. And to get us cut up, we bring in Marissa Voss. Just like Judd's Buds, you can find all MNCAA episodes on the Soda Pod feed with episodes dropping every Friday. Go follow the dedicated college hockey feed on Twitter at MN underscore NCAA. MNCAA was taken by some douchebag with zero followers that won't reply to Isha with our very lucrative USD cash offer. Um, now, Isha, who's the last show that we want to promote here this week? Brave the Wild. Joey has been in the Minnesota Wild podcast game since 2008. 
Here's a clip from the chiseled veteran. With that said, though, the Minnesota Wild played three games this past week and got demolished. Uh, yeah, let's just say that. Uh, over three. And that includes our power play sucked and our goal scoring sucked. My thoughts exactly. Uh, like, what more can you say? Three to one, seven, three, five to one. Toronto, Calgary, Calgary. Calgary looks like a team that could win the Stanley Cup uh, tomorrow. Uh, they all scored us 12 to four in two games. Yeah, and then Toronto three to one. It wasn't total demolition, but we didn't score. You know, our power play sucked, and our goal scoring sucked, and the goaltending sucked, and the defensemen sucked, and the wingers and the forwards they really really sucked, and the coaching. Okay, maybe not the coaching, but maybe the coaching a little bit. Okay, sorry, I'm just kidding. One way or another, it was. I mean, what more is there to say? It was a bad week. It was a really, really... It was just a bad week. Just just flush it out, you know. Everything's going to be fine, you know. Everything's fine. Just flush it out. No, let's... Uh, the, Wild are, <laughs> the Wild are two games ahead of Edmonton, which would be ninth place in the Western Conference. <laughs> are you fucking kidding me? Flush it out, huh? Flush it? Flush it out. Yeah, we might get flushed out if we keep playing like this. So, uh, yeah, let's uh, giddy up here. Let's giddy up. The Toronto game, yeah, I mean, it, I don't know. It was just boring as hell. It was boring as hell at the beginning. Couldn't get anything going. Luckily, you felt confident. At least Kapokakinen was stopping shots from Toronto and all that. And then uh, after Frederick Goudreau was pretty much the only player who could get anything going this past week, uh, <laughs> broke the twine, so to speak, or, you know, crossed the line and scored a goal, lit the lamps, whatever you want to call it. And that wonderful second line, third line, whatever the heck it is, line, finally was able to get things, it's second line, was able to get uh, the Wild on the board and the lead, and yeah, it was kind of a familiar thing this week, uh, yeah, the Wild to take the lead, and then uh, that was it, it was like, all right, we, we got this, we're back, we're, we're going to start winning games again, and then that was it, there was no scoring, and then it was like, no, who's on him, oh, well, who's on him, score, you know, it was, it was that was just kind of the feature that was kind of the feature presentation of this past week. Well, who was on that guy? Well, that sucks. One-timer goal. And it was just over and over again. If it's the, the Chuck, the Chuck was time and time again. Somebody put a body on Matthew the Chuck. I mean, was anybody on the Chuck? Was anybody on him? Or were we just rhyming the, you know, were we just adding an F to that word? I don't know. That's what it felt like. Austin Matthews made it look easy. He just, yeah, he made it look easy. And, of course, his second goal. His second goal made me like his, his second goal made me squirm or made me cringe Brandon DeHame had the puck was kind of going up the ice and it's just I, I don't know what what's up with Brandon DeHame I mean the guy his stick handling it leaves something to be desired and his awareness seems to be lacking as well like what is up with the guy <laughs> he turns the puck over way too easy he looks like a clumsy basketball player getting getting stripped from behind in a JV game. It's like, what's what's going on here? That's what it felt like to me. And it's happened more than once. I mean, there's times he had the puck all by himself, Brennan DeHame, and started stumbling. And that was like a couple of weeks back. And it's like, what, what's up with that? I know we're all human and we're going to have moments like that, but uh, I don't know. Brandon, let's go. Come on, Brandon. And pretty much the whole fourth line has been non-existent, to say the least, except for Nick Bukestad scoring in that 7-3 to three game. Woohoo. At least we got on the board again at some point. Yay. But 7-3. Uh, 7-3 seven to, three. Seven to three is basically all you need to say. The 7. The 7 is what is the problem. Um, just no life. Uh, I can pretty much put all these games into one review and tell you the same thing. The first one, not as much. I mean, you gave up three goals. It wasn't that bad. This and that. But there was just no life in terms of the scoring side of of things. We're averaging less than three goals a game. Okay, well, I mean, it happens. It sucks it, that it does happen. Um, and this is over a six-game stretch, going back to the Florida game. Florida, or actually, yeah, yeah, going back to the Florida game. It's a six-game stretch where the Wild have gotten their butts handed to us. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to. You know, we have not been scoring. Of course, there was the admitted game. Okay, so you exclude that one with the seven. But, yeah, if you talk about all the losses, basically, Florida excluding just the Edmonton game, which was actually kind of a sloppy game as well, and Connor McDavid and all them were playing like, eh, because they had played the game before. And they're they're not a team I want to compare the Wild to right now. If you want to be a good team, you want to beat teams like Calgary once in a while, at least split with them. Pray to God you can get a split. 
or maybe even a point out of it, like a, a OT or shootout loss, something like that, something lame like that. <laughs> but to get, you know, demolished, absolutely demolished 12 to 4 in just two games, it leaves you thinking like, hmm, I... I was afraid Calgary was going to put a can of you-know-what on the on the wild, can of whoop-ass on the wild, but boy, uh, they did. And it was painful to watch. Painful. Um, I know they've been killing everybody, like the, like like <laughs> like Vegas. They've even beaten Colorado. That's why I, I keep thinking if Calgary can... <laughs> I, I don't know if they can sustain this level of play necessarily, but I mean, even Colorado is obviously way ahead. They're 14 games ahead of second place St. Louis. They're 19 points ahead of the Minnesota Wild. I said games. Points. Points ahead of the Wild. 19 points ahead of the Wild. So, good night, Central Division Championship. That ain't happening. Um, I don't know. This this week just felt like, uh, who's on this guy? It would be like, it felt like uh, we're overcompensating defensively. We're overcompensating. The, the defensemen are overcompensating on one guy, whoever it is. The puck goes over to the right. Both defensemen are on the right, and then somebody like at the Chuck or whoever is open on the left. And it's like, good Lord, or, or vice versa. And they have like a one-timer. It's like, oh, well, there's the, there's the saucer pass over to the Chuck or whoever the heck, and goal Calgary. And that was kind of the theme, especially in those two games. The Toronto game kind of, again, it was it was just like a lame night. It was just a, it was just a game where we lost. It didn't play well. Not much energy. Get your questions in every week by following at brave the wild and listen by searching brave the wild minnesota wild podcast all right thanks to everybody tuning in on google spotify apple Podcasts. i mean wherever you get your podcast from the best thing you can do for us or any of the content that you heard in this podcast episode uh you can go on itunes and apple Podcasts, give us and give them five stars and a kind review it goes such a long way you're already supporting us by listening to this episode so you might as well go and review us as well if you're jones for more hockey content go listen through our website thehockeypodcastnetwork.com and on your app please download the episode before you listen as it just helps all of our business you can follow myself at vi sports talk you can follow hoppy at state of hoppy and of course you can find the soda pod on all platforms at the soda pod signing off i'm you should drill me alongside the state of hoppy this has been the soda pod presented by the hockey podcast network we good buddy we good Don't fear, just drink some beer and stay wild.